Hey Trail Tailors, if you have a running story that you'd like to share with our tribe, please reach out to me. You can email me at trailtalesarp at gmail.com. And if you're the type of person that's a little bit on the shy side, just send me an email or a message and I'll read it on the show for you. Love to hear from you guys. Run wild. From the trails to the road to the track. If it's running, you'll find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Trail Tales ARP. Sean Silbon here with you. Russell was hoping to make an appearance on the show today, but he's feeling a little bit under the weather. We've got a very special guest, and we've got a lot of great information coming your way. Uh, today's guest is Rachel Murray. Uh, she holds a Bachelor of Science. She's a registered nurse, a doTERRA wellness advocate, and she's also a registered holistic nutritionist. She has a special focus on sugar addiction and helping people cut their sugar addiction. And if you stop to think about it for a second, you might be a sugar addict. We'll, we'll get into that, and we're going to kind of dive into this topic here. I'm really excited to talk to Rachel about it. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining me on the show and uh, agreeing to come and, and talk about sugar and, and nutrition. And I think as you know, runners, I'd mentioned to you just before we hit record, sometimes we will, you know, go for a nice long run and say, Hey, I earned, I earned this chocolate cake, or I earned this, you know, whatever it might be, pizza, beer, whatever. And, you know, that might not be the best way to go about things. So why don't you give me a little bit of your background real quick? I know I mentioned kind of your credentials, but how you kind of, what your journey was like to get into kind of focusing on sugar. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, so my journey here, um, it, it was kind of serendipitous for a couple of reasons. Um, I was, I've always been interested in health and wellness um, and I went into a bachelor in health promotion right out of high school. And I love that. Um, but ended up after that going down the path of becoming a nurse and just couldn't seem to um, apply the skills that I wanted in terms of the preventative side of things. So that's kind of what led me into the uh, holistic nutrition. Um, one of the reasons anyways. And it was through that um, that I started seeing clients that a lot of them just really struggled with with sugar. And at that point, I mean, it was kind of on my radar, but um, addiction itself to the sugar wasn't really something I knew a lot about. Um, and I ended up just going down the path of, you know, finding as, as much tools and knowledge as I could. And I ended up listening to this podcast um, of this woman named Bitten Johnson. And she's um, since then gone on to be my mentor. And I've taken a, a couple of really um, great programs with her. Uh, but she's kind of our, our guru in terms of sugar addiction. So it was through that process uh, and taking one of her courses that I actually uh, learned that I was a sugar addict as well. So um, it, it, I guess it's a bit of a long story, but there's um, there's a, a sugar assessment, which I can talk about a little bit later, um, that she recommended I do just so that I could be comfortable um, doing the assessment on my clients. And 
And so, yeah, it was through that process that I really um, came to understand that that I had a sugar addiction. And um, while it, it was somewhat surprising, um, there were definitely elements of it where, you know, I, it made, it was, it made logical sense because um, even though I was a nutritionist, I still struggled with um, some of the things, like you said, you know, using sugar as a reward and, um, you know, some of the things I would tell my clients to do, I couldn't do myself. So I kind of felt like I was, um, you know, this imposter and had all the information, but I wasn't, uh, applying it the way that, uh, that I was recommending it, um, all the time. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. So two things I want to touch on it. It's, it's interesting. And I, uh, I can kind of relate to that when you're in a position where you're trying to give people advice and help them and essentially tell them what to do. And then if you're not doing it yourself, you can kind of feel like that imposter or whatever. Right. And, and I would almost equate it, you know, to like having a personal trainer who's out of shape and they're, they're sitting there and training you. Right. And it's like, what's going on here. Right. But yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing I find interesting too, is, you know, we start off with your uh, being a registered nurse and, and nutritionist and stuff, and you decide that you want to kind of get into that preventative um, field for people. So, you know, in, um, in school, like you talk about like upstream and downstream measures for people, like for health problems, right? So you're kind of looking at the upstream stuff and trying to, to prevent issues from happening downstream. If you look at it like as a river, right? Things are flowing and you have a health problem. It's okay, well, what happened prior versus what happened later? Because it's a lot easier to deal with, well, maybe not a lot easier, but it's a lot better for the individual if you can deal with stuff upstream versus having them get sick or to a point where they need some sort of intervention and then dealing with it, right? It's kind of an uphill battle from there. So I think your approach is, is pretty sound and, and makes a lot of sense uh, from that perspective. So you also had mentioned that, you know, you kind of had to learn about sugar and, and you realized, I guess, that you were a sugar addict. And, and it's interesting because, you know, I'd, I, sugar isn't one of those things where I think people would normally think, oh, I can become addicted to this, right? Like usually when you hear the word addict, you're thinking like drugs or alcohol or things like that, right? Like bad things and, you know, sugar is a food and it's everywhere. So um, I guess, you know, is there a way to differentiate like, you know, addiction to xyz versus addiction to sugar like what exactly is a sugar addiction yeah well i'll start by giving the the asam the american society of addiction medicine they have a definition for addiction and this is like an umbrella term for any addiction and i i think that um sugar definitely falls in there so they define it as a treatable chronic medical disease that involves complex interactions between our brain our genetics, our environment, and our our life experiences. So um, that's a complex, like very um, complex umbrella of, of how addiction really, uh, really affects us. Um, so when you kind of get down to the brass tacks of things, sugar addiction is really no different than um, addiction to alcohol or heroin. Um, addiction is one disease and it just has many outlets. So even within sugar addiction, what we often see is once, um, once somebody starts to <clears throat> go, go down the path of recovery, their addiction will actually um, 
pop out or morph into some something else. You know, a lot of us describe it as a game of whack-a-mole. So you kind of get your sugar addiction um, in control, if you want to say that. And then um, maybe, you know, your addiction to social media ramps up. So it's kind of like just finding this balance. Um, so, and, and one other um, example that I'll give that, um, you know, kind of gives a, a picture of this is, a lot of the time with bariatric surgery, um, because the the patients cannot, they can no longer actually eat the amount of food or the types of food that they did before the surgery. Um, a lot of the time, they're even if alcohol wasn't a problem for them, it it then becomes a problem. So um, it just kind of goes to show that um, that addiction is just this one disease. So. Um, my, my mentor and a lot of the experts who understand sugar addiction really do, um, think that it is the gateway drug. Um, we, we've heard a lot of different, different things about gateway drugs, but, um, sugar is the one thing that, um, you know, it's safe We're, we consider it safe to give to babies. Um, so it's, it's the one that starts the earliest, um, and then it just kind of spawns from there. So, um, but to kind of bring it right back um, to sugar itself, what, what basically happens when we're addicted to sugar is that we just develop this loss of control over certain foods. And um, obviously those are sugary foods, but it can be really different for, for in different individuals. Some people, um, it's really about like the actual sweets and desserts. For others, it's like the bread and the pasta or the potato chips. So um, it, it looks different in, in, in individuals, but, um, it kind of just gets right back down to that loss of control over those foods. Okay. Okay. Um, actually you brought up an interesting point. Now you'd mentioned, you know, sweets and desserts and then switching to breads and carbohydrates. So just briefly, um, can you cover like the different types of sugars? Cause there are you know, simple sugars, complex sugars and things like that. And so just kind of briefly, just for the listener who doesn't really necessarily think, oh, sugar is not just one thing. It's, it's multiple things and come in various forms. Yeah, sure. So um, when we talk about types of sugar, it, it kind of gets interesting because there are now, I think, over 300 different names for sugars. So um, we have, and these are all like processed a lot of them um, very heavily like manufactured, man-made, um, but we like, we hear beet sugar or blackstrap molasses, we, brown sugar is more common, uh, maltodextrin, um, rice syrup, coconut syrup, you know, they've, they've come up with all these different names. Um, one to, to kind of fool the consumer into, um, you know, not knowing that there's sugar in it. Um, and then just to, to add, add these different flavor profiles to, to the processed foods. But I think kind of um, what, you're, what you're referring to is the more basic sugars. So uh, we look at like glucose and fructose and uh, sucrose, lactose. Um, so glucose is, is the sugar that our body can use for fuel. Um, it's the building blocks of carbohydrates and, uh, glucose can be metabolized by all our cells. So glucose in and of itself, it's not a bad thing. Our body does use it. Um, it needs it. Um, 
but it can create it on its own uh, by using um, building blocks from uh, proteins and fats. So um, we can talk, I know you, you kind of wanted to get into some other things about, um, you know, if we have to limit, you know, completely eliminate sugar. So I can talk about that a little bit later, but um, I, I just want to make the point that glucose in and of itself isn't a bad bad guy. Like we do, we do need it. Um, fructose on the other hand, so fructose as the name implies comes from fruit and um, what, what we kind of hear a lot about in terms of fructose is, is the, the processed side of that. So the high fructose corn syrup, um, fructose coming from fruits, not, not so bad, but um, when we process it into that concentrated high fructose corn syrup, um, it causes a lot of problems uh, when we consume it. And one of those is a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is, um, you know, the, the numbers are skyrocketing um, in terms of people being diagnosed with this. And it's one of those things that we don't, we don't necessarily know that we have it until it's kind of too, um, it's progressed. So, um, so that one's a little bit scary. And um, the reason that fructose is, is different is that it's only metabolized by our liver. So um, when we consume a lot of it, our, our liver becomes overwhelmed and what it does to, to protect itself is it turns it into fat storage. So we get all this, um, this fat storage around the liver and our other important organs. So hence the name fatty liver disease. So it's, it's basically just putting into storage. It's, it's trying to do a good thing, but it becomes very overwhelmed. Um, so, and then we're, we're left with, um, the last major one is sucrose. So this is, uh, what we commonly refer to as table sugar, and that's the combination of the two, the glucose and the fructose. Um, and some interesting, um, research has kind of come out around that, um, in the sense that eating sucrose can actually be more harmful than just eating either glucose or fructose on their own. Um, because there's this in in interesting, um, reaction with fructose when it's in the presence of glucose, um, it's actually more likely to be turned into fat. So, um, that's just, um, you know, the byproduct of, of these man-made products. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, I, I didn't realize that, you know, one sugar over another might be more prone to being turned into fat. You know, I've always kind of, when I talk about these things with, with friends or whatever, it's like, you know, our body will, we're eating sugar or carbohydrates, if you will. And, you know, your body will use what it needs and it will store the rest as, as uh, glycogen in your muscles and, and liver uh, for use later. But that has a limited capacity, right? So once that's full, you know, essentially the, the excess carbohydrate or sugar in your body ends up getting stored as fat, right? So you increase your body fat and everything. And so I didn't, I didn't, I've never heard about the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It's, that's quite interesting and, and concerning. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's something I've, I've never heard of. So uh, thanks for bringing that up. You've given me some homework to, to do after the show to read up on that, which, which is really interesting. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it seems like, you know, almost all the foods we have, if you're looking at the nutrition profile on, on a food, there's sugar is almost everywhere. 
in everything, you know, and um, I guess two part question. So how would we go about like limiting our sugar intake by just kind of, you know, a regular person who's not, you know, we're super focused on, on, you know, dietary restrictions or limitations or whatever. And they're just going to the grocery store to buy food for their family. Like, how do you go about trying to, to limit all that sugar? And the other question I have, the second part is, you know, should we be concerned about sugar and fruits? Right. Um, I'm, I'm not really clear on that. Sometimes I'm like thinking, well, fruit, it's got a lot of vitamins. Yeah. It's natural sugar, but you know, is it the same as, is eating something that has, you know, added sugar that shouldn't have it. Yeah. So yeah, to, to answer your first question in terms of what, what we can do to, to limit the sugar in our diet. Um, it, I mean, the simplest way around that is just to focus on the whole foods. So um, there about 85% of the food in grocery stores is actually um, processed and has added sugar to them. Um, so the best thing that we can do is to focus on those whole foods. So this is going to look like animal proteins, um, vegetables and fruits, and then natural fats like olive oil, avocado, coconut oil, or, or those that are naturally occurring with, with the animal proteins. Um, so, you know, if you're addicted to sugar, this is obviously a lot more easier said than done. Um, so I, I do recommend working with a professional if, you know, if this is something that you, this is a change that you're ready to make. Um, but yeah, I mean, just focusing on those, those whole product, whole food products and not, um, or avoiding as much as possible, anything that's packaged that, you know, has a list of ingredients, focus on the foods that, that don't need a, a list of ingredients. Um, okay. And then in terms of your, did you have any other questions before I move on to the fruit? No, no, carry on, carry okay. on. Um, so, so yeah, the fruit is, is a complex uh, question. Um, if we're looking just at like our, our blood sugar balance or our overall health, um, the sugars that are packaged in fruit are, are a lot less detrimental to our overall health because they come with, like you said, the vitamins, the fiber and other nutrients that our body knows what to do with and um it, it knows how to properly digest it and because it has that fiber then it has less of an impact um on spiking our blood sugar um in the term in terms of looking at addiction um some of us can eat fruit fairly regularly without any uh, negative consequences um but fruit affects those with sugar addiction um, very differently. So for example, some people can um, eat an apple and they're fine. It doesn't trigger any further cravings, but if they have a banana, they are just triggered to want more sugar or vice versa. Um, I know some, there's um, somebody that um, a friend of mine has talked about um, that is just absolutely triggered by cantaloupe. And I think other melons are fine, but cantaloupe just sends her into this spin where um, she just wants more and more. So it's very individualized. Um, so it's important to, to understand what your specific trigger foods are and understand what foods work for you. But yeah, I think in general, I don't think we need to be... Um, worried about the detrimental health effects of having 
you know, a piece of fruit with our meal. Okay, good answer. I appreciate that. And just a quick story um, for the audience. So, you know, I think I think this is something that kind of opened up my eyes to for myself thinking, you know, what I might have an, a bit of an issue with sugar here. So you had put a post up on your Instagram account, and I'll put all your social media and stuff uh, in the show notes. And and you're talking about uh, sugar addiction or binging or something. And I was like, wow, I just experienced this recently. And it was, it was something as simple as eating grapes, but there weren't, there weren't like regular grapes or these, you know, those cotton candy grapes mm -hmm. that they're starting to come out with. And they taste remarkably like cotton candy and they're, they're quite nice um, on the palate. So I had a couple of those and the next thing I knew, I was just kind of kept popping it in my mouth. And then I kind of made my way over to the drawer where we kind of keep the snacks for the kids and stuff. And I was like, Oh, there's a chocolate bar right there. And then, then that the, the wheels just fell off the wagon and I just over consumed a whole bunch of sugar. And that was, that was, I don't know, several weeks ago. And I'm still trying to kind of recover from that in terms of, of, um, just, you know, getting a control of, of my eating and I'm, I'm getting better at avoiding the sugar, but I'm noticing that I'm still kind of eating a little bit more than I normally would, right. To kind of make up for it. So it's, it's a long process once you kind of get, once it gets its its hooks into you to kind of bounce back from it. It's not the first time I've experienced that. So that was kind of something that really resonated with me in that post that you had made. It's like, wow, I, I might be addicted to sugar. So, so that was kind of my experience there. But how would how would somebody briefly, I know you said that there's a, a test or a questionnaire you can go over to determine if you do have a sugar addiction. But beyond that, like how would somebody kind of just do a quick self-assessment? Like, you know what, I might have an issue and maybe I should look further into this and maybe, you know, contact somebody like yourself to say, you know what, I think I might have an issue with sugar. How can we kind of figure this out for sure? Yeah. So I think the, the first simplest thing is just understanding whether or not you have a loss of control over sugar. Um, but I can go through, I have um, a six question uh, screening tool that I can uh, just quickly read through. Um, and again, this has been developed by Bitten Johnson and some other experts in the uh, sugar addiction recovery um, field. So um, just before I start it, um, they're going to use the word sweets and sugars. So this can be any carbohydrate. So it could be pasta, bread, desserts, cookies, um, soda. I think that's something we haven't really talked about is like the, the liquid sugars. Um, it could be ice cream, pizza, cereal, potatoes. Uh, sweeteners. So anything doesn't have to be, um, you know, glaringly sweet tasting, because I think a lot of people don't realize that pasta and bread and those, um, they break down to sugar in our body quite quickly. So um, the first quick question uh, is, in the past year, have you ever eaten more sweets than you intended to? Or have you spent more time eating sweets or using them um, than you intended to. So they're all just yes or no questions. Um, number two, have you neglected some of your usual daily responsibilities due to using sweets or overeating? Uh, three, have you felt that you wanted, wanted or needed to cut down on eating sweets in the last year? Four, if, if anyone, uh, either family, friends, healthcare practitioners, knew about your eating habits with sweets, would they object or have something to say about it? Uh, and five, have you ever found yourself preoccupied with wanting sweets or found yourself thinking a lot about sweets? And then the last one, have you ever used sweets or food 
to relieve emotional discomfort, such as fatigue, irritation, sadness, anger, tiredness, or boredom, et cetera. So, so that's just a quick screening tool. And if you answer yes to two or more of these questions, then it's highly likely that you are addicted. Um, but again, it, it is just a screening tool. It's not a diagnostic tool. Um, so the next step would be to have um, a complete sugar assessment done. Um, and this is this takes about an hour. So it's it's quite in-depth and it it determines whether you're truly addicted or um, what we call a harmful user. Um, so um, I can talk quickly about that if you want. So a harmful user is is basically someone who, who has experienced um, detrimental health effects of, of using sugar, um, but they don't actually have that addictive um, process in their brain. So they they would be someone who, you know, if, if they actually put their mind to it and said, you know what, I'm just going to quit, um, they wouldn't have that, you know, psychological um, craving and, and cycle of wanting it. Um, it would be somewhat simpler for them to to let it go okay interesting just listening to your uh read those questions on the self-assessment um questionnaire rachel i think i might have a problem <laughs> i think it is a, is I, had, a, I had a few yeses in there <laughs> right i think it is more um it's more common than people understand than people realize um mm. but as your wife said, isn't everyone addicted? It's actually not everyone is. So, um, so it is important to kind of distinguish that because there are some some different approaches that we can take uh, if you're addicted versus um, just a harmful user. Okay, wonderful. Um, so moving on, um, you know the the term, I guess, you know, living sugar free um, has come across my screen a few times. What does what does living sugar free actually mean? Is it is it you know literal like no sugar at all, or like how how do you determine that? Sure, yeah. So any allowances? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, so as a baseline, uh, avoiding processed foods and anything with added sugar is going to be necessary um, if the sugar addict wants to recover. Uh, beyond that, as I alluded to kind of earlier. Sugar-free is really individualized to the person. So you have to learn what foods are psychoactive for your body. Um, and if, if people don't understand what psychoactive means, it basically just means that um, a substance changes the way that your brain um, responds. So sugar is psychoactive, um, but different people uh, respond to it differently. And just like certain drugs, um, you know, people, people may use a drug and, and some people may become addicted and some, some others don't, they still may experience, experience that similar high when they actually take it, but, um, they don't develop that, that psychological addiction. Um, so personally for me, sugar-free means that I avoid, uh, processed foods, flours, and refi refined grains. Um, so I really do just stick to, to the whole foods. Um, so in terms of allowances, uh, the best way to kind of look at it is to compare sugar addiction to other addictions. Like I talked about earlier, 
So you can't give a heroin addict or an alcoholic a little bit on Saturdays. It just doesn't work. Like they have to cut it out. Um, if you, if you put a little bit back in, it's just going to send you right back to the addiction cycle. Um, but I do understand, like I said, you know, food, um, food is something that we need. Um, we don't need sugar. We don't need those processed foods, but we do need to eat. Um, you know, it's, it's not that quitting heroin or alcohol is any less easy, but, um, I think we can draw the lines a little bit easier because it's not like you need heroin in your, in your life, whereas we do need food. Um, so I think that, you know, what I'm trying to say is that we do just need to understand that it is a very individualized process and, um, we, we have to figure out what our specific trigger foods are. I think for everyone, eliminating those, those processed foods is going to be really important. But beyond that, um, some people might be able to tolerate um, fruits and a, a wide variety of fruits. Some people can't tolerate them at all. Um, and even dairy products, they have some um, opiate-like responses in our body. So for some people, dairy products are a problem. For others, they're not at all. So um, yeah, it's just very individualized. So I guess what you're saying is I can't really have any more cotton candy grapes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to, to the point there, I, I think that, you know, that's something else worth kind of touching on is that even the, the fruits and vegetables today, um, while they are whole foods, they have been, um, you know, genetically changed to, yeah. uh, to that's make us want more of them. Nature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you had mentioned uh, the opiate-like um, reactions that can happen with dairy products. My wife actually brought that up to me again, Leah. She was like, hey, like there was an article that she came across about being addicted to cheese and how it has a, kind of like a similar response to morphine in your body and the opiates. I had no idea. That's insane. Mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy. And it, it's funny. And I want to ask your opinion or if you actually have, um, you know, like a... Um, a medical opinion on or just a personal opinion but in terms of addiction um as a personality trait do you think some people are genetically more susceptible to becoming addicted to whatever the addiction might be you can replace it with anything right whether it's drugs alcohol sugar whatever right any of any of those vices do you think that's something that certain um parts of the population are susceptible to is this like a genetic thing or is it a little bit of a behavior thing or combination what are your thoughts on that I definitely think that genetics plays a role I think that, that there is a combination of things that happen but um, one way that that it's kind of been explained to me is that um, you know trying to turn upon a positive spin on this um, because you know, we, we live in a very unnatural environment, but if we look back at our ancestors, those who, who now develop sugar addiction, we would actually be, um, you know, some of the stronger, stronger members of our tribe, because what, what the sugar addiction would do for say, like the caveman is encourage them to go out and seek those foods because in nature, I mean, um, anything that tastes sweet, is safe for us to eat. So it would be those people that are motivated to go out and seek those, those flavor prof profiles in foods. Um, they're going to be much more likely to survive. Whereas someone who is like, 
nah, I don't really care about food. Well, you know, back a, a thousand years ago, um, that wouldn't be such a good trait to have because food was a lot harder to come by. So, so there is kind of a, a positive way that we can look at this, but um, yeah, to answer your question, I think that genetics definitely does play a role, but um, there's a lot of um, other lifestyle influences that are going to come into that as well. Interesting. Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of crazy to think about what it was like, what life was like for our ancestors. And I think every day it was food and shelter, shelter and food. And those are pretty much your primary objectives when, when you wake up to when you go to sleep, I guess, Hey, eh? like it, it's kind of crazy how we've evolved. And it's, it's almost like things are way too easy for us now. Like, you know, like you had mentioned, put that positive spin on it. Like, okay, if something's sweet and safe to eat, I'm going to go on the hunt for it or whatever, search for it, right? So you're moving and, and walking and, and uh, now we don't really have to hunt for anything or, or gather, it's just go to the store, or go wherever and, and pick it up. Um, and so it leads me to, to kind of my next question that kind of came up. Um, you know, as runners, a lot of times if we're doing these long distance endurance runs, um, you know, we'll, we'll resort to carrying like gels or things like that to kind of give us energy boost during our runs. Um, and, and those are primarily like, you know, simple carbohydrates and sugars and things like that. So, um, you know, during, during bouts of exercise, whether it's endurance or, or high intensity exercise, um, is, you know, are we still looking at sugar as something bad at that point? Or is it something that, you know, our body is using as fuel and we're going to go, but I guess the, the other thing to consider there is, you know, if you're a sugar addict and you're using these things during exercise, is that going to affect your consumption after exercise? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I can't say that I'm an expert in this area. Um, one, one thing that I can kind of connect it back to is that um, these are a more modern, um, you know, modern invention. And I remember speaking to, um, to a coach, a coach, a running coach, and he just talked about, you know, the back in when he was training, because uh, I think he's probably in his seventies now. Um, these weren't really, they weren't really popular. So people did manage to, to run these races without gels. And, um, you know, looking back even further, if our ancestors were chasing down their prey um, on the savanna, they wouldn't have had access to these, you know, they might, they might find some berries along the way or something like that. But uh, what they would be doing is relying on their own uh, body fat um, and to provide the fuel that it needed. So I think that the one thing, um, you know, I guess to just back up a little bit, I mean, these marathons and um, triathlons are, are a very intense specific uh, way that we're, you know, taxing our body. But um, I think one thing that, that we've kind of moved away from is, is that skill um, of being able to tap into our, our own body fat for fuel. So this would be the production of ketones and um, that metabolic flexibility that, uh, that your listeners may have heard about. So, yeah, I think that, using using them um for the sugar addict i think it definitely could um you know spark sugar cravings later on but 
Um, again, I, I'm not an expert in this area, but I know that there are some, some low carb, um, you know, marathoners and ultra marathoners that are setting records. So it, it can be done without the use of these products. Um, but I think the, the key is definitely just tapping into that metabo metabolic flexibility where uh, your body's able to naturally use ketones. And, and I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of um, push and pull with the ketogenic diet and, you know, it's very polarized, but um, being able to tap into ketosis is a really uh, natural thing for our bodies. Our babies are born with the ability and they actually, um, like quite, um, quite con consi like they consistently tap in and out of that. And it's, it's something that our body uh, loses the skill of knowing what to do um, as we get older, because we're, um, we're, we're snacking frequently, we're eating a lot of high carb, high sugar products. Uh, we're just not naturally uh, fasting. Um, so these are all things that, you know, our body just forgets how to do it. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, I, I think it does um, to an extent. And then that's like a whole kind of another bag of worms to get into. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. Effectively, I guess we all kind of have our own built-in uh, gel system, like you said. You can burn the body fats and, and turn those into ketones. And and it's interesting from what I. Because I know there's uh, a lot of stuff about, you know, a ketogenic diet right now. Like, I'm going to show you something real quick. I know the audience can't see this, sure. but uh, where is it? Uh, yeah. So we're, we're recently on a trip to Florida. And, um, you know, they have all these different products here in the United States. So we found this keto-friendly, incredible. It's a cereal. Oh, okay. And it has, like, you know, milk protein concentrate and for... For one and a quarter cups, it offers two grams of sugar, three grams of fiber, 14 carbohydrates total, and talk about sugar alcohol, mm. um, less than one gram. So it kind of leads into my next question. But so the, the keto diet is something that you're starting to see become more popular now. And from from my understanding, it was actually developed, I think it was sometime in the 1950s, um, was developed by doctors to help treat diabetics. Now, I don't know if it was for uh, insulin dependent diabetics or just, um, non-insulin dependent diabetics, we just have an insulin resistance. But, um, when, when these patients were put on this, this ketogenic diet where they're not consuming carbohydrates and just kind of proteins and fats, their bodies were obviously kind of, uh, going into ketosis and burning their own body fat and using ketones and, and replacement of, of glucose for the most part. And, and from what I recall, it's been a while since I read this literature, but they were actually like, um, curing their diabetes. From the diet so and th and they were using this diet for the morbidly obese diabetics too it wasn't just you know somebody who didn't have the weight issues but um with with all that being said um looking at this keto friendly incredible and sugar alcohols and things like that what's your take on things like that and artificial sweeteners and, and everything right because going back um when you had mentioned ancestors you know if it's sweet it's safe you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff about artificial sweeteners and like aspartame and all those other types of things. And there's other artificial sweeteners I can't even think of right now, but what's your kind of take on those things? Yeah, I think that, that you bring up a really good point because when we think of ketogenic diet, of course, 
um, marketers get hold of this and they want to make products to to sell it, basically sell the diet. But we don't need those product products to you know effectively be in ketosis. Um, so in terms of artificial sweeter, sweeteners, um, probably not surprised, but I don't like them. Um, for the sugar addict, they keep craving a lot cravings alive. Um, for our general health, most of them um, are not uh, well studied. We don't really know um, long-term effects. Um, and the reason I don't like them, there's a few, a few big problems with them. Um, one, they, they have this effect on our taste receptors, so they can actually change the way that we taste other foods. And I think we see this a lot, um, in children, um, in this, you know, we hear kids don't want to eat vegetables. And I think this is one of the reasons why is that their, their palate has been so changed by these sweet foods that, um, vegetables actually don't, don't taste good to them. It's their flavor profiles have been altered because of the, the sweeteners and the, the sweet foods. Um, another reason I don't like them is that sweeteners trick our body into thinking that we're receiving nutrients, because like I said, in nature, sweetness means that it's, it's okay to eat. So we, our body thinks that we're going to be receiving nutrients when it tastes these flavors. Um, but it doesn't actually get the vitamins and minerals that it's expecting. So, um, soon after we have the hunger and cravings ramp up, up because our body's like saying, Hey, like you fed me, but I, I don't actually have anything like what's going on. So it sends up those hunger cues to, to encourage us to actually get those nutrients. Um, and then, you know, the last thing, um, you kind of alluded to this earlier in our conversation is that, um, artificial sweeteners can start to play these, uh, psychological tricks on us because, you know, we say, um, well, I, I can have that piece of ch chocolate cake. I deserve it because I only had a diet drink, right? Like it's, it's no calories in this no calorie cola or whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, I kind of connect it to like, well, I, I, I went for a long run, so I, I earned it. And we start to make these excuses. Um, and then artificial sweeteners in and of themselves have shown to be quite addictive. So, um, especially for the sugar addict, I don't like them. Um, I think that there are some that are safer than others in terms of our overall health, but, um, there hasn't really been any good long-term studies on them. So, uh, I do recommend people stay away from them. Interesting. I appreciate that, that advice, that take on it. Um, you know, we, we've covered a lot of, of kind of different topics and touched on a little things here. And, and, you know, I'm excited to, to let the audience know that, you know, I, I floated the idea to you about maybe doing a mini series on, on the topic and kind of expanding on the things we've talked about today. And, and thankfully you, you kind of agreed and thought that would be a great idea to do a mini series. So uh, for those of you who are listening, if you do have any questions for Rachel, uh, please feel free to email them. Uh, to trailtalesarp at gmail.com or just shoot me like a message on Instagram Messenger or, or Facebook Messenger or whatever if you want and uh, I'll get those questions over to Rachel and I mean I'll have Rachel's email in the show notes as well so you can just even email her directly if you like and uh, we'll be putting a few more shows together uh, regarding this topic um, and and yeah I think we, you know we've, we've covered a lot today you've answered a lot of questions and and raised a lot 
lot more questions too, which I think is a great thing. Um, so Rachel, thank you so much for joining us here today. And uh, I guess before we go, is there anything else you'd like to add before we kind of sign off here? Um, I guess if you're if your listeners are interested, I am going to be running a sugar-free challenge um, at the beginning of November. So um, if they would right. like to to join that um, right now, I just have the waiting list open. The official registration hasn't opened yet, but um, if they want to join that, there are some perks to to joining the waiting list. So. Um, they're welcome to do that, but, uh, no, I really look forward to hearing what, uh, what additional questions come up from, from you and your listeners. Amazing. Um, how would we, um, get in touch with you in regards to the uh, sugar-free challenge for November? Sure. Yeah. I can send you the link to put in the show notes, but, um, they can go to my website. It's, uh, rachelmurrayholisticnutrition.ca and, uh, the, the link to register will be on there. Okay. Is it a limited number of spots? Um, it is, but um, the those who join the waiting list will have uh, first priority. So, so if they join the waiting list, then they have a good chance of getting on. Amazing. And you know what? It's a great time of year to kind of do this too, because I mean, we just had Thanksgiving, but Halloween is around the corner. Christmas is coming. This is always a hard time of year for myself as well, in terms of like, trying to maintain a healthy diet because there's overeating, there's, there's sweets and sugar and everything. And it's hard, but you can get through the holidays uh, and manage, I guess one last question before we go, if you have, if we have another minute or two is, you know, becoming like, well, I'm not becoming, but your journey from becoming a, or being a sugar addict rather um, to being, you know, living sugar free now. Um, what has that done for you in terms of, your mood, your energy levels. And, you know, I guess when an addict is coming off a drug or a substance, there's always that kind of withdrawal thing, right? So for, for those of us who are listening and who are kind of struggling with this and trying to, you know, can you give us some advice from somebody who's actually done it, what it's like from the beginning to where you're at now? Sure. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot there in that question. Um, if we look at mood first, I, you know, I, I thought I had a stable mood before, um, but looking back, it was, it was out of control. And uh, I just, I feel, you know, so much better able to, to process um, what's going on in my life. I have so much more patience. Um, my, my thinking is just more clear, like I'm able to kind of take that pause and process things. Um, whereas I was very reactive and very, um, you know, happy one minute and just in a rage the next. So, so my mood has completely changed, uh, through, through eliminating the sugar and, um, and you know, it, it's not just getting rid of the sugar. There are some, uh, specific recovery tools that I use and there's support groups that I attend for this, um, so, you know, it's getting rid of the sugar makes a big difference, but it's not the only thing that we do. Um, and in terms of energy, I think that, that that's very similar to the mood. It just, I now experience more of a stable energy throughout the day. Whereas before, you know, you eat breakfast and then a couple hours later, you kind of crash and you need something where now, I mean, I still get hungry like a normal person, but it's like, okay. I'm hungry, but if I have to wait an hour or two hours, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Like 
I'll get something when I can get it. Um, so, but, you know, a lot of that just has to do with the blood sugar regulation, which would probably be a really good thing that we can talk about in, um, in one of the future episodes. Um, but yeah, I would say that things are just more, more stable and I'm just generally a happier person. So I know that, you know, the thought of giving up sugar is really scary and, um, you know, paralyzing even for some people, but, um, the other side is, is actually, um, beautiful. I like how you put that. It's beautiful on the other side. That's great. Um, appreciate that. So, um, you know, for everybody who's listening right now, I definitely encourage you to uh, take up the November sugar-free challenge, check the show notes uh, and get on that wait list with Rachel. And, uh, you know, if you think that uh, you might be consuming a little bit too much sugar or you're curious to see if you are an actual sugar addict, uh, I highly encourage you to get in touch with Rachel and do an assessment and and, and go from there. And you might uh, you might be on your way to a, to a wonderful experience, a wonderful journey of improving your life and your health. So, uh, Rachel, once again, thanks for being here. I look forward to our next conversation. It's been great. And, uh, and people get your questions in and, uh, Rachel will, will get on it and get those answers for us. And Rachel, until next time, run wild, my friend. I know you're not necessarily a runner, but, uh, <laughs> eat healthy, sugar-free. <laughs> I do do some running, but I wouldn't say that I'm a marathoner. That's okay. Hey, if you run, it doesn't matter how far, fast, or long you go. You're a runner. That's that's what it takes in my book. So we'll talk again soon, Rachel. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that brings us to the end of another great episode of Trail Tales ARP. Thank you so much for joining us yet again. I'm Sean Sobon. And I'm Russell, the runner. If you'd like to support the show, we'd greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review on Apple google or spotify or wherever you get the podcast from and we really do appreciate the time that you take to join us on every episode uh, you can also email us at trailtalesarp at gmail.com follow us on instagram at trail underscore tales underscore arp we will see you next week see you next time run wild